Not so long ago, I was a quiet average man. Now I found my voice, I threw my fears in the quicksand. Talking about life, the good, the bad, the ugly side. My name's Joe Vance, now let me take you for a ride, yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Joel. So we're on episode 25 today, and I know in my last episode I said that was going to be, we were going to have episode 24 and 25. I'm going to go ahead and correct myself there because we're actually going to have an episode 26. We're going to do a three-part uh, kind of series or episodes on uh, on false teaching. So today is part two, and I have my brothers Matt, Jared, and Mitchell back here, and I'm definitely glad that they're back here so we can talk about um, more in depth of different false teachings that are being um, preached into these churches nowadays and uh, and some of the dangers that come with that and you know some of the false teachers to look out for. So Liza, I'm definitely glad to have them back. And before I tell you what we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to give a recap of what we spoke about last time. So last time um, I asked the question of what makes somebody a false teacher. And uh, Matt actually gave three very good points of like what, you know, what makes a false teacher. And, um, you know, Jared and Mitchell, you know, gave some really good input as well regarding that. Um, Matt mentioned that um, three things that make, you know, a false teacher is, um, is when people teach outside the authority and sufficiency of scripture was the first one. And then the next one is um, denying the deity of Jesus. And then the last part was um, is denying uh, the that Jesus' atonement um, was sufficient for salvation, um, which you know led into our main discussion on the topic of work-based salvation. So that was like the first subtopic that we covered, and we brought in uh, different religions that you know instill um, work-based salvation into their teachings such as uh, Mormons and uh, Muslims, Islam, and uh, like Catholicism. So um, we mainly touch based on uh, Mormonism and Catholicism, uh, mainly Catholicism because um, we've had experiences, you know, we have family members that are Catholics and also just, uh, you know, that's one of those main, like main religions that um, somewhat ties to Christianity and, and it gives like a false idea of what true Christianity is. So we mainly spoke about uh, Catholicism. So uh, we're actually going to be uh, leading into like a, another subtopic, which is going to be on uh, easy believism. So let's easy believism is another um, ma major false teaching that gets uh, kind of taught to uh a lot of Christians, you know, unfortunately, and unfortunately, I have been guilty of kind of falling into that, you know, in the past, I feel like I was, uh, when I was younger, I used to kind of think um, of easy believism, believism being, uh, being, I guess, uh, the real way, the real path, you know, of uh, salvation, and that definitely is not. So uh, that is mainly we're going to be what we're going to be talking about today. And we're also going to be talking about um, false teaching on uh, universalism, which um something new that I've heard of here in the past uh, month or so. So now it's kind of 
introduced to that by by my brothers. So less than just uh, hearing that there's such a thing as universalism and hearing what that means was uh, mind blowing. Just realizing that that's uh, that's even a real thing, and that you know a lot of Christians are falling into that trap of believing in something like that. So that's uh, pretty mind blowing. But before we get to universalism, we're going to talk about easy believism. And the reason why I want to talk about that one first is because um, last time we spoke about uh, Catholicism and, you know, the other religions that talk about uh, work-based salvation. And I feel like easy believism um, is like another teaching that, you know, religions like Catholicism, um, you know, teach to their congregation. So that, I thought that would be a, you know, a good one to start off with. So uh, my question is going to be, what exactly is easy believism so i'm going to give jared the floor and kind of uh he's going to give a you know kind of a more clear understanding of what exactly it means it's for the most part straightforward but uh but like there are uh lots of that i feel like this can be a good learning experience not only for me but for everybody else so take it away disciples direction all right well <laughs> welcome in this is disciples direction no i'm just kidding no. anyways <laughs> what is easy believism for starters, just like you kind of already noted, it's on the opposite end of where we went in the last podcast, where that was works-based salvation, where you have to add to here, basically, you will see it's on the opposite end, but uh, let me just get into it. For starters, I don't know, uh, <laughs> I kind of stopped, I kind of messed up there. I was looking to, I already kind of went on my notes, but anyway, it's basically where you just make a profession of faith and you don't have to repent or turn from your sins or anything to show or prove you know, your profession of faith, basically. So it can just be enough to know the historical facts of Jesus in some cases and some of the, uh, you know, sects of uh, easy believism, just knowing the historical facts and not, and no need to turn from your own nature, basically. It's basically what easy believism pretty much is. Now, I think all of us believe in faith alone. So, which is one of the five solas that, you know, was brought out by the Protestant Reformation. You know, now, and I got this quote that I'm about to read from ChristianLife.com. It says, when the reformers sought to recover the doctrine of God's grace, they wanted to emphasize the fact that we were made right with God, not through any merit of our own, but rather through God's own grace. In Christ, we received unmerited favor from God. Now, the article goes on to say the Roman Catholics of the 16th century would have, uh, you know, Input, they would have agreed with this to some extent. And uh, I'm going to kind of go on with it. Let's say they indeed believe we needed God's grace to get to heaven. But how do we get the grace? Here's what, here's what is said in the Council of Trent in, uh, that was brought out in 1547. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain grace of justification, and that is not of any uh, in and that is not in any way necessary that he be prepared or disposed by the action of his own will. Let him be an anathema, which I hope I said that word well enough. <laughs> which according to what I found on Catholic.com, as many have believed an anathema to mean let the person be sent to hell or that it's a sure sign that they'll go to hell. Now, here's what they basically say is that uh, in the article that I read on, like I said, Catholic.com, that the original meaning was a form of excommunicating, but that isn't even in effect anymore since 1983. 
since the Code of Canon Law of 1983. So basically, even the excommunicating part is no longer in effect. But uh, now I don't know exactly what to say about it uh, because, you know, I don't know anything too much about it. You know, I probably should have asked her dad about it. He grew up in the Roman Catholic, uh, you know. <laughs> so I really didn't know where, where to go with that. But one only thing I can tell you is you can still find that in Canon 9 of the Roman Catholic doctrine. So it's still in their doctrine, that saying I just said that was from the Council of Trent. But I'm giving, I'm kind of getting a little off subject, but at the same time, I wanted to kind of just point out what is meant by faith alone. It is the biblical truth that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Let's go to the word of God and Bible and read from Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we believe it is by faith alone. And well, so does easy believism. So you might be wondering, well, what is the problem? You know, what's the problem with easy believism? Well, they go against what James says in James two eighteen, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now you might be like saying, it sounds like you're contradicting yourself. On the last podcast, we're talking about against work salvation, you know, works-based salvation. And then, and now you're telling me you believe in faith alone, but then you quote James 2.18 saying, and you will show me your faith by your works. Well, we believe in, but obeying the God, uh, obeying God's word. And here's where we're going with it. So to our to show our next point, that should we be striving, that we should be striving for holiness and purity, you know, which some might know it as the process of sanctification. And I'm lost my notes, lost my myself and my <laughs> notes here. But let's let's go to uh, Ephesians 2:10. <laughs> Good grief, are you kidding? Yeah, look at Ephesians 2.10 with me. Hey, yeah, that's right. I, I think I can see where my confusion comes because I was going to make the acknowledgement that I've already read verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to the next verse, verse 10 in Ephesians. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Mm -hmm. Okay, but uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it sounds like we were created for good works. I mean, does it not? I mean, basically by what you just read there, but it, but it isn't these good works that save us. So we're not adding these works to our salvation or to, you know, bring about our salvation because the good works are the evidence of the faith we have in Christ Jesus. So while you were, while you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead and look at John 15, eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Jesus said, and he was talking about this just after he was talking about him being uh, the vine, the true vine and God being the vine dresser and that no, you know, you can't bear fruit unless you're attached to him, you know. But uh, anyway, later on in the chapter in verses 16 and 17, and hopefully I'm not going too sporadically here. I'm hopefully everything is going to close and you're going to come down to a point here. But let's skip up to uh, verses 16 and 17 in uh, John 15. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So just and just a few more verses to show that we should be in this process of sanctification, which goes 
you know, goes against what basically easy believism uh, truck teaches really. Uh, you know, so trying to become more like Christ, you know, pursuing holiness and purity and that we were created for good work. So let's look at Titus 2, 11. I mean, Titus 2, yeah, 11, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and world, world lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing for of our great God and Savior, Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purity and, and purify for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. And the last verse, then I'm going to close the opening section of Easy Believism, you know, and let everybody else kind of intervene. But uh, let's go to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarn you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. Okay, so what is the point of all this? Well, easy believism seems to suggest that all you have to do is believe or confess, and there isn't any need for any good works. Let me read this quote from The Abomination of Easy Believism, Part 2, The Nature of True Faith by Mike Ratliff. Here it goes. What a, what a glorious biblical truth it is that sinners may come to Christ just as they are. They come on the basis of faith, and he saves them all, John 3, 16. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, apart from works. God saves his people this way so that none may boast. This means that no one whom he saves must do any work or obtain any merit in order to be worthy to come. No, God saves sinners. However, in today's gospel, these wonderful truths have been twisted or extended to say that not only does Christ receive sinners just as they are, but he will also let them stay that way. So that's basically what easy believism says. Now, later on in the article, he goes on to say, when I was a new Christian, I bought my first Bible at a local Christian bookstore in Tulsa. It was a Ryrie study Bible. It was the new American standard edition. I had no idea who Charles Ryrie was. I was intrigued by the, you know, the big volume of notes that I had. I used that Bible for many years until the backing gave way and the cover fell off. But here's what Charles Ryrie is quoted as saying as uh, to new converts in Christianity. He said, even if they were to leave God out and live according to the old nature, that, you know, that basically that they're okay. I mean, it's what he's basically saying that, you know, there isn't no, basically there isn't any reason for anything to be, be uh, changed in their life, I guess, for, for the most part. And I'm going to, I just got a few more quotes and then I'm going to give it over to whoever wants to uh, add to, uh, I'm still going to be reading from this time, part one of uh, the abomination of easy believism, which is called repentance by Mike Ratliff. It says invitations are designed to entice people 
to come forward by priming the pump, priming the pump as several people move towards the front when it begins. Then those folks are persuaded uh, to, you know, and led into a pray to pray a prayer accepting Jesus into their lives or hearts. There is no mention of the Lordship of Christ. There is no mention of repentance. Is this the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is basically what he's asking. Further down in the post, he, he mentions this. What we what we must never forget is that our, that many respond quickly to today's gospel, and we're putting easy believism in that today's gospel. Mm -hmm. But then quickly prove they're disingenuous by not showing the fruit of uh, repentance. You know, just because someone comes forward, prays the prayer, and is baptized, does not mean that they are saved. And their total lack of fruit in their lives show that they have never really repented. Those who are genuine in their uh, yeah, those who are genuine turn back their backs on sin, unbelief, and disobedience. They draw near to Christ with a faith that obeys him as Lord. Genuine salvation manifests itself in true repentance, which causes the believer to walk in righteousness. And then I'm going to go right back to uh, the, the abomination of easy believers in part two, as that was the part one, and kind of fit this all together and then put it to a close. Uh, here's what Mike Ratliff says in this. Uh, today's gospel says that, that telling unsaved people that they must surrender to Christ is preaching works salvation. It seems salvation is the unconditional gift of everlasting life given to people who believe the facts about Christ, even if they are ch chose or even if they choose not to obey him. So kind of like I said at the very beginning, just knowing the facts about Christ can be enough. And there's no reason to really read the word or obey the word, basically, is what it sounds like to me. It teaches that salvation may or may not change a person's behavior. This is the last quote. Now I'm going to end it. Uh, still from the same uh, article, uh, uh, Abomination of Easy Believism, part two. Think of the huge numbers of seekers who approach our Lord on those terms, you know, of coming to Christ, just knowing the facts, but not having any reason to turn from their own nature. So I like to say it. Just think of the huge numbers of seekers who approach our Lord on those terms. They have been assured that he will welcome them and not confront their sins. They really have no sense of their utter depravity and guilt before our holy God. Hence, they have no motivation or desire to be freed from sin bondage. They've, they have heard from the preacher that their faith, expressed by agreeing to the facts of the gospel, will save them. This level of faith is only intellectual and cannot save. So. That's my introduction, at least, to uh, Easy Believism. Hopefully, that wasn't too scattered sounding or anything. But, uh, I mean, did you have anything to add before we give it back to not, not your average Joe over there? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think for sure you did a, a very well well put job there to to, to show people that. I'm just, I do want to just add a couple of things, uh, just kind of some of my research on it as well. And some of the things that we've already talked about, even in our podcast about easy believism. And that is you made a very good point in the fact that a lot of people, I think, misunderstand the meaning that we have when it comes to uh, our disagreement with the easy believism. Because people say, well, all you got to do is believe. Right. And yes, in order to have salvation, that is true. But in that call to salvation, there's more to it than, than just having a belief. I even made this point before, was that if people just had to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus alone, 
then that means the Roman guards. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, the Roman guards that were standing guard at Jesus's tomb would believe those facts as well. They believed that he was dead. They knew he was dead. And they knew that he came back alive. They went and reported that to the uh, the, the Jewish people. So if, if it's just that, then those yeah. Roman guards are going, or they're, they're in heaven. Uh, you know, according to easy believism. Yeah. But, and, and a lot, so that's been a problem. You know, we can look at that all the way back to those times. That's not what they believe. That's not why easy believe, you know, what salvation is. But it also comes from, I think, a more modern look. And I brought this guy up as well as a guy named Lewis Sperry Schaefer, uh, which really is the person that kind of introduced easy believism to our modern Protestant churches. Uh, today and he he has this misunderstanding as well of of what salvation or what we mean by this by there has to be a, a a change to life it's not that we're adding works to salvation as jared made a very good point on it's that works are a part of the christian life they are a part of the christian life he he says things like this and i quote uh dr schaefer he says to impose a need to surrender the life to God as an added condition of salvation, he questions, is most unreasonable. God's call to the unsaved is never said to be into the lordship of Christ. It is into his saving grace. So he says the call is never to salvation. And, and people quote Bible verses like this out of context. Romans 10, 13, that says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. So if you just take that out of context, there it is. Anybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you just back up a few verses, you will see the call to salvation is more than just, just believing the facts or, or anything uh, in that sense. You see that with the call of salvation, not only is there belief, but there's action as well. If you look at Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, that's an action for one, okay? You're confessing with your mouth. It's not just a belief in your mind that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we see that there is... Not only, and, and, and what is it that you're confessing? You're confessing that he is Lord. So how can people like Schaefer and, and just say that all you have to do is believe without any type of progressive change in your life when the fact is, is the thing that you're believing in is not only that he is Savior, but that he is also Lord. So I kind of make this point to, to really show the scriptural view of it and also those criteria that I talked about last time at the beginning, this really falls under the fact that they destroy the deity of who Jesus is. They say that he's savior, but they don't add the fact that he's actually Lord of your life. And that's the, what you should do. So they, they remove that part of it out and just say, well, he's just the savior. Well, his atonement's enough for salvation, but he doesn't have to be your Lord as well. So once again, we see, even though they might not fit all three of those criteria, like we talked about Mormonism and Catholicism does, we see that an easy believism view of it 
really strips the deity of who Jesus is, you know, in that fullness. So, um, I mean, that that's just a biblical view of what Christianity is. It, it's not just to, to call on the name of the Lord. If that's the case, then Jesus's words of saying that uh, many are called, but few are chosen, or there will only be few in heaven compared to those that go to hell. If that's the case, then Jesus was a liar. And we know that Jesus wasn't a liar because there's only going to be a, a few. The reason why there's only going to be a few is because we know the call of salvation is this. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the call to salvation. It, it, like I said, yes, you do just believe. You, you have faith alone only in Christ. But in that faith is the call to follow him daily. That, it's not just a, a have a belief and then just move on and say a prayer or, or anything of that nature. So, I mean, so much of this um, is, is seen in our churches today. And it's really it's really discouraging to see that people believe this way um, and, and everything. But anyway, um I might have something else. Y'all have anything? Mitchell looks like he's looking at Just right quick before Mitchell goes, let me just finish then. I'm going to give it to Mitchell. Uh, I mean, I'm, and I hope he didn't have this verse he was about to read out of the Word of God. But uh, Titus 1, 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. <laughs> they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I mean, right there, that's what we're trying to say. I mean, there's going to be some evidence of the fruit in your life. But anyway, Mitchell, take it all, man. <laughs> uh, well, Jared and uh, Matt made some very good points of easy Belizeism. While they were talking, I had a couple verses that came to my mind right away. And Matt mentioned one already, but I'm going to read it again because some listeners might miss that point. So first one that came to my mind, Jared did James 2.18. But I'm doing uh, James 2.19 right after that. So you, a lot of people in this world say you believe in God which is great, you know, I'm glad you do believe in God, you know, and uh, that's very, very important. So James is warning us and the church today to be, just to be reminded, he says in James 2, 19, he says, you believe that there is one God. So he said, there you go, you do well. So basically he said, you do well, we believe in one God. And then after that, he says, even the demons believe and tremble. So that's what's scary because the you know Satan knows everything about Jesus Christ. We go to look for, we know the demons even pronounced that Jesus was the Son of God, but Jesus rebuked them to mute, you know, as he as he was passing by. And so so there's no such thing as a agnosis or atheist demon, because we see in scripture, Luke 4 especially, they even know who he is. You know, yeah, clearly. And um, once they knew who he was, I mean, they tremble immediately. And and this came to my mind immediately. You remember when Jesus was about to be arrested, when the people said, who, he, Jesus says, who are you looking for? Um, Jesus of Nazareth. He's I am he. Look what happened. They immediately, immediately fall, those soldiers, because that's how powerful the Holy God is and the Holy Spirit. And so... We know the demons also believe and tremble 
So you can't just say, I believe, and then go drinking and do do the life whatever the heck you want. And then Matt used this verse clearly, but for listeners who may have missed it, let's read it again. Luke 9, 23, he said, Jesus says, and he, he says to them all, if anyone desires to come after me. So once you gave your life to Jesus, once you gave your life to the Lord, he said, it comes after me, let him deny himself. Some listeners might be like, what does he mean by denying us? Does it mean to kill yourself physically? No. It means giving up your life, giving up your drinking, your smoking, your friends that's hanging out, and uh, give out all that, or whatever you're watching that you're supposed to not be watching. Or for anyone here is listening, if you're married, if you're cheating your spouse, or you're doing anything to hide anything behind his back or her back, hey, I mean, you, you know, you got to come after me. And he says, um, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever decides to save his life will lose it. So Jesus basically said, whoever decides to save his life. So you basically, if you're just not obeying the truth, you're going to lose your life. Because, I mean, you know, he says clearly, because one day we all will come to death here one day we'll lose everything here all the souvenirs we have and all that all that kind of stuff and he said but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it for jesus sake so basically jesus says it clearly but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it so so matt and jared made some good points but those verses came right to my mind i wanted to add and so so yeah believing is important but believing is not enough because we know you know, the demons and the devil know who he is. They know they know him more than we do. And but that's why it's important to dig into scriptures and just say, hey, I mean, the demons and the devil, the devils believe in him, too. I mean, you go look for it. They even pronounce his name out loud. So, Joel, you want to add anything? Go ahead. Yeah, I think everybody made some really good points here. Like, especially I love hearing like the word of God, like, you know, how it contradicts the idea of easy believism and how like so that believing is just, it's not enough at all. And I'm going to you know, also reread another verse I had come to mind as uh, both Jared and Matt were talking. Um, Matt brought it up Romans 10, nine, where it says that if you confess of your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's like, I feel like that's like a verse that people that preach on easy believism may be thinking, okay, like, there you go. Like, that's the finish line. And there, there's no finish line. We're not like newsflash. You're not going to be perfect once you believe in Jesus and that's it. Like, there's still, you know, the process, you know, as Jared was mentioning, there's, you know, that process, you're never going to be reaching perfection here on earth. You're still going to be a sinner. You're still going to have those uh, bad thoughts, you know, you're still going to, you know, have, um, you may take some action that you're going to regret. Like, so that's just um, bound to happen. And like, so I'm definitely glad that we had like, you know, some really good verses to, to back up our claim of how uh, easy believism is uh, definitely false. And I also love that uh, Mitchell mentioned how there's no such thing as a, an atheist demon or agnostic demon because they even believe in the demons I mean, they know, hold on, excuse me, they believe in Jesus um, himself and they know one day what's going to happen. So as that is a lot of that and lesson, even how we even saw how uh, Satan's trying to, you know, tempt Jesus when he was here on earth, you know, for the 
40 days, you know, out there in the, in the wilderness and, you know, Satan's trying to like, you know, throw some scripture at him, but like said, Jesus, you know, had a good comebacks and you never fell into it. So like I said, it just goes to show that, you know, like even they believe and, you know, like that can be scary. Like just even thinking, you know, even the Satan himself and even the demons themselves, they even believe in Jesus. So just believing is not enough. And, and the reason why I kind of mentioned that I had like an idea of um, like thinking that easy believism was um, like something that I guess I applied to my life at one point and is definitely not pointing fingers at anybody, not like not my parents or nothing like that. But I uh, kind of what uh, I guess what kind of got me believing in the first place was like, I was around five or six and I'm not sure viewers, uh, like I'm sure most viewers may know about a uh, high school shooting that happened around that time. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it like Columbia or Columbia? Columbine. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So last it was that school shooting. And I, I know somebody told me they're not sure if this actually happened. It may have happened. It may not. So I don't want to say that it was a true fact, but there was um supposedly there was a student there and the, there was a shooter there like and asked her if she believed in Jesus and she said yes and you know was shot and killed and anyway like my mom like brought it up to me well our mom <laughs> brought it up uh to him you know to me and uh you know she's saying if you were put in that position like you know would you say yes or no and and I guess I was thinking, you know, as a kid, five or six years old, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to be killed. So I told my mom no. And she's like, you don't ever say no. Like when it comes to like believing in Jesus, like you're supposed to, uh, you know, be proud and like say yes to like you believe in Jesus. And I guess that's kind of where I got into like believing in Jesus. But like I wasn't really, um, I guess, aware of the idea of how easy believism is, you know, bad until I started going to church on my own like I started going once I got into college and then kind of going on a normal basis and realizing that um like at one point we did a little we were in a Sunday school class me and Mitchell together with uh with this teacher named Stephen Webb and we read a book uh it was called uh not a fan and I was reading it I think it's by Kyle Adelman or yeah so yeah I was reading that and as I was reading that, I, it kind of was convicting just because um, I almost felt like I was the fan. Like, I felt like I was just, you know, I'm sitting on the sidelines. I'm a fan. Just, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for you out there, you know, like to proclaim the gospel. But like, I'm not actually doing it. I'm cheering you on and encouraging you. But like, I'm not actually doing the the, the mission, you know, work or, you know, as Jesus told us you know, to go and proclaim the gospel. And, you know, here I am, I'm just on the sidelines. I'm just a church member. I'm going to, you know, clap for the preacher. I'm going to clap for that singers up there in the choir and the orchestra and all of that. So, you know, so I didn't, you know, really, I still even uh, after I got baptized, I, to be honest, I still feel like I had that same attitude of just, you know, that's kind of the danger of, you know, living in the South and being in the Bible Belt is you kind of get used to the, just going to church, checking off the box and, you know, saying, okay, like, well, I'm right with the Lord and, you know, and that's it. And then, then you just act however else you don't get in the Bible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you just, you know, you get into it only at church. And like I said, it took me until 2020 to realize that, uh, 
you know, kind of giving me some self-reflection time, especially when we were in uh, quarantine and, you know, we're kind of just stuck in our houses, you know, can't go anywhere. And, you know, I started realizing that like, you know, like God doesn't deserve, you know, leftovers. And like just being a believer is not enough. You know, you're supposed to be a, a follower of Jesus. You're not supposed to just be a fan of Jesus. Cause like I said, I mean, and, and that's kind of where I, I know this may sound like I'm going a little bit off on a tangent, but it's kind of like just thinking a fan, you know, is like a, a believer in a way, you know, like it's to me, I feel like it kind of ties together and, uh, and even though like Satan and the demons aren't a fan of Jesus, but like, I just feel like they're in a way, like they know that he's a threat. And um, I kind of want to talk about like uh, a ministry that like I used to be a part of. And I know uh, Jared's familiar with it as well. And I'm sure Matt and Mitchell are as well. But I mentioned Jared mainly just because he's been in contact with people from this ministry. So uh, back when I was in college, I went to this ministry it was called the basement it was here in birmingham alabama um it was started by this guy named matt pitt um and the reason why and what called the basement is because it started from his basement with just a few people and um it started growing and you know they had to start going to different locations and stuff like that and anyway uh when i was back in 2011 it was like my first you know semester of college um, I heard about this and, you know, I went to one, like they had a big, like, well, I, I thought it was a service. Now looking back on it, it's almost like a party bash. Like they even mentioned it. They were like, this is like the biggest Christian club in Birmingham. And, and listen, when you think of like the club, you don't think of positive things out of that. Like you think of worldly things when it comes to that. You don't think of, you know, God you know, being in the center of a club, you're not, you're, I would be shocked if you ever hear about the name of Jesus in a club with alcohol and partying and drugs and all that. And, uh, but anyway, plus I was there at the basement and, uh, anyway, uh, I thought it was all fun. Like, oh, wow. Like, you know, this, this music, I know this song, like, you know, I love this song and we're all like jumping and, and like, they're always making these like chants, like, you know, we're fired up and we're sold out you know, for God, and, like, and then they'll show, like, some people's testimonies, and, and, like, just from hearing the testimonies, it seems very surface level, it just seemed like, um, like, all I would hear is, like, God changed my life, and then, like, then they'll, like, go to somebody else, it's like, boy, like, how did he change your life, just from coming here and getting to mosh pits, and <laughs> pushing people around, like, I'm not sure if that's, uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's exactly the right way of, uh, going about you know like that, that seems like a crazy form of worship you know if you ask me but anyway i kind of fell into the trap of it just thinking like like oh i love this uh song by let's just say i love this song by t-pain but like but they have like a like a clean version of it instead so that's already there itself you know that should have been a red flag to me it was not a red flag to me i'm just thinking oh it's clean like there's no cussing going on, but originally there was profanity in that music. They just have to, you know, silence it or, you know, somehow bleep it out or so. But but here I am. And anyway, like so maybe a year and a half later, I started noticing a lot of um, things going on. And I know it's going to sound like I'm going off on a tangent, but um, I'll kind of, you know, explain why I'm bringing this up. But like, there was a lot of 
like idolatry going on there. I felt like there was more worshiping Matt Pitt himself than it was about Jesus Christ himself. Like they would have worship songs and, um, you know, some people were just standing around or, or sitting. And then as soon as Matt Pitt, come, Matt Pitt comes out to like preach, like he'll come out and here comes everybody, you know, screaming and hollering and standing ovation and like clapping for him and stuff like that. And I started noticing that in the last like, like few months of going there, but I was trying to ignore it because I was thinking, I was kind of, I guess, just ignoring it, thinking like, oh, well, this is like a fun way to worship still, you know, like being with all these people and, uh, you know, listening to certain songs and, you know, thinking like, oh, this is, you know, like a, I'm almost treated it like it was a club, but uh, anyways, I'm noticing the idolatry and, even at one point, um, it was like the summer of 2013, I was, they had this big like bash, it was called like a whiteout bash is what it was called. And they went downtown and uh, it was a bunch of people wearing whites and they all went walking down the streets with these big signs. And, and I'm not going to call this person out by name, but I did see somebody, I saw a picture where it said like, Matt Pitt is my hero. And that's where um, it got a little concerning to me, just thinking like, like now here we go, we're taking the attention off of Jesus and we're putting it on uh, a man that couldn't even pronounce Nebuchadnezzar correctly. It was up there, Nebuchadnezzar. So lots of them that, um, you know, was a problem. And, and there was like one song that would come on uh, called Spirit Breakout. It was by Jesus Culture. And there was like this certain part of the song where like the drums like come into it and it seemed like it just seemed so synchronized and scripted in a way and rehearsed because like once those drums hit, like here goes everybody jumping and they're all like hooping and hollering and like, you know, just going crazy. And, and I guess like I almost feel like it was being done for the cameras in the way like I felt like uh, the viewer may look at it like, wow, like look at these people going, you know going crazy for the Lord and like, you know, in the best way possible, you know, I guess if they're, they may be looking at it like that. And, uh, and anyway, like I said, I think, uh, you know, I, I ignored a lot of red flags and uh, I bring all this up just because I felt like there was a lot of easy believism. There was just a lot of surface level of, you know, God loves you. And, you know, as, as long as, you know, you, you believe in him, like he's, he's going to take care of you. And he, you know, as I just kept like giving you like the surface level, but like, but almost no conviction to change your life for the better. It just seemed like it was the same, like, you know, just come back. We're going to, you know, mosh pit again next week, basically without them saying that it just, that's what it kind of seemed like it came off as. It's just, we're going to, you know, play the same songs. We're all going to, you know, grind I did see a lot of grinding going on you know we're gonna do a lot of like inappropriate dancing and but to clean version of songs and and like why are we doing the macarena in the basement like why are we doing these songs in the basement that's like uh very random the cha-cha slide it's like where is jesus and all of this like <laughs> yeah it's like you know like where i mean i know it's good like you know david danced for the lord but not like this <laughs> so but he's not out there you know hey macarino and so it's just uh you know big red flags and i just felt like there was 
was out of that ministry. It's no longer a ministry, thank goodness, I hate to say, because uh, it ended up becoming like a cult because Matt Pitt got arrested um, a second time. Uh, for people that don't know, he got arrested a first time for impersonating a police officer. And, uh, and actually, he kind of repeated the same exact thing years later down the road. Uh, he was kind of running. on. He was on the loose. And um, from what I heard, I think he jumped off some cliff near the Vulcan. Like, uh, Vulcan is like a statue here in Birmingham, for those that don't know. Uh, there was like a little drop off there. And I heard that he kind of jumped off there. And they ended up getting arrested. He was, I guess, okay. Thank, I mean, thank goodness I don't want nobody jumping to their death. But uh, so I said he got arrested. And then it turned in from... The basement being about Jesus to free Pitt, like they would go to the jail that he was at and they would like have, you know, shirts that says free Pitt and signs and almost like a protest in a way. And it just uh, became very, very dangerous. Like, you know, not uh, not physically dangerous, but spiritually dangerous to even be involved with that still. So I definitely, once he got arrested a second time, I felt like uh, the Lord opened my eyes and made me realize that like uh, there's a lot, a lot of bad things going on right here. And as you definitely need to take a step back and uh, kind of have discernment in your heart that like, like it's almost like you're falling into just being a fan of Jesus and like, you know, doing what everybody else is doing. You're going to jump when everybody else jumps during that Jesus culture song and you know, you're going to put your hands up when everybody else's hands are up, you know, during worship songs. And, and I know, sorry, I feel like I'm talking forever, but I was just thinking one more thing that happened out of that. And the reason why I bring this up is because I saw something earlier about this. So I feel like also at the basement ministry, and I'm sure it just happens at many churches as well. And I feel like this conversation has come up before between some of us is like the idea of being like, emotionally manipulated during like worship time and uh like they'll play some sad music and, and i feel like you know you'll get to crying you get to feeling bad and and then you almost feel like like you're getting a false reassurance that like you're you're saved just from feeling bad in that moment but but if your actions aren't changing even after that moment then that you just wasted some tears there because like i said there's no life-changing moment it's just you had a um maybe a guilty conscience in that moment and like i said if you're not applying that to your heart and life then uh then that's definitely um you know dangerous and the reason why like, i brought that up is because earlier today i was on uh on tiktok and like, i said i uh, saw somebody had out like a worship song like um and it says something like like i played this song and like i made people cry but it's like, is that our goal? Like, are we supposed to make people cry? Or are we supposed to change people's hearts to follow Jesus and go after Jesus? And um, as, you know, Luke 9, 24 says, you know, pick up your cross and follow him. So like that, um, like that, I just feel like we're too focused on, we're not even focused on following Jesus at this point. We're just focused on, you know, the easy believism of just manipulating your your mind and your emotions and as and then not even realize that there's as an idolatry going on you know some churches where um uh even 
last week I was looking at a video of uh, Justin Peters for the first time and talking about that video was talking about uh, baptizing like homosexuals, but I haven't finished that, um, that video yet. But like at the beginning of the video, there is a church there in South Florida and correct me if I'm wrong. I know all of y'all watched this is the church called like Coral Springs. Like, is it a, like a, I don't know if it's Coral Springs, but like there's a church there and I saw like there was, um, there was like, I almost like saw stormtroopers dancing. Like it was almost like a star Wars kind of service. And then I saw like a circus kind of service. And it's like, do we not realize that like we're taking the full attention off of Jesus at this point? Like we're trying to make church fun because I know there's that, there's that saying or stigma, whatever you want to call it, that like church is boring, but it's like, like, I feel like we don't have to, throwing some stormtroopers into church to make to make it fun like you know i feel like there there's a lot to learn about the bible and there's a lot of you know there's a lot of like really good and educational things that come out of the bible no i'm not saying put people in costumes like in the disciples costumes and jesus and have them dance on stage but i am saying to uh you know, to just like, there's a lot to learn, like I said, about, you know, Jesus, and you don't have to throw a, a circus act, you know, to, to bring people, to bring a crowd into church, just, um, you know, I know a lot of people love the idea of just, you know, the surface level, they want to hear the, you know, good feeling service of, you know, God loves you, and like, okay, I'm going to come back next week and be told the same exact thing over and over again each week, but, uh, but that's not enough, so, Anyway, uh, does anybody else have any input? <laughs> the only thing that came to mind to me, <laughs> you were talking about the some people being dressed up in disciple costumes. I was just thinking uh, the gospel, the musical, coming at a location near you. I mean, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Though. I mean, when you really think about it, because, uh, well, I mean, I watch uh, or listen to actually the Just Thinking podcast that I actually heard on one of their recent ones, Virgil Walker, uh, one of the two from the uh, podcast. Speaking of, uh, when you were kind of talking about, it seems like we're all this entertainment and everything. Well, I mean, you, you said used to church would influence the culture. Now it's culture influencing the church. And that's basically what you're seeing in today's churches. All these, all this entertainment, it's all about themselves. They're, they, you know, they don't have any conviction of anything because it's all about what, type of emotional feel do I get from it? How good do I feel coming out of the service? Not, are you convicted of your sins? Do you realize that you're a sinner? Do you realize that you need to repent of your sins? Do you realize that you're headed to hell without, you know, it's just not knowing, like you say, that, hey, Jesus saved me. I mean, he died on the cross for my sins. His blood covered all my sins. God's given me his mercy and grace each and every day. I mean, but, I mean, for them, it's just, what does it do for me, basically? I mean, you know, that's basically what it is. It's, you know, we know this is the most selfish generation ever, basically, nowadays. And, and it's not just the ones in whatever the Z, the X, the Y, you know. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, influ it really expands to everybody nowadays, it seems like, in my opinion. I mean, it might have started somewhat with them, but now everybody's saying, oh, yeah, look at this. Look how cool this is. And the pastor's uh, zip lining into the service. I mean. That what it's really about. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I think Matt's got. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I wanted to ask Joe was, did you get in the mosh pit? 
<laughs> um, yeah, one falling out, I think I did. <laughs> so that was a crazy experience. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think to kind of go along with that, I mean, th that's very, that's a very good point. Uh, uh, the thing is, is we've just got away from getting into the scriptures and learning what the scripture says. And there was many people, I, I wanted to point this out, there was many people that followed Jesus while he was walking on the earth that were considered disciples, okay? So a disciple, for anybody that doesn't know, is just a learner. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that they're going to heaven. Anytime you see that word, so there, you know, you have the 12 disciples or 12 apostles, but there was many people called disciples. And there was, there's a scripture in John 2 where it says that Jesus knows what's inside of man, so he didn't commit himself to them. So you got to remember, Jesus is God. He knows what's going on, and he knows that a lot of these people believe in him, okay? Believe. They believe. Easy believism. They believe in him because of why. He's given them all of, all of the superficial things they want, giving them free food, giving them the healing their diseases, all this stuff, and they're just following him. They're chasing after him, going from city to city, just following after him. So Jesus starts talking about the real tough stuff of life. He starts talking about how things are going to be tough down the road. And that he says things like this. He says that if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you are not my disciple. And, you know, when people are thinking only on the superficial side and he's speaking of his future sacrifice that he would make and, and those and, and the things that would happen through that sacrifice, they're, they don't want a Messiah that is going to die on a cross. That's not what the Jewish people wanted. So a lot of people started questioning, what is he talking about? Why is he doing all of this or saying all these things? And, and the amazing thing about it is, is the, a lot of these people got really discouraged to the point that it says this, and I always point out how weird it is that I know the, scripture chapters and verses were put in there by man but the fact that it is john 6 66 that says this 666 that says after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him those people that were following him learning under him now at this point for a year or more they were following after him when jesus preached a message that was going to what he was trying to do is separate the true believers, the true followers from those with their, that were just following superficially. And that's what our churches do, do today. A lot of our easy believism churches, and it's widespread in every denomination. There's not, we're not picking on one certain denomination. Uh, it's in the charismatic churches. It's in the Southern Baptist churches. It's in the Lutherans, the Methodists, Catholicism, it's all spread throughout. And, and the only ones at that point that were really left there was the 12. Everybody just left. They were that when, and that's what we need, kind of like, you know, Jared was talking about with the culture, you know, and what Virgil Walker said was, you know, there's no conviction of sin. When, once they saw that there was something that they didn't agree with, they walked away. And that's the danger. I mean, they didn't, uh, but. The thing is, is they didn't know the, the true message. The true message of the gospel, like we've been talking about, 
is a call to be obedient. It's not a call to just believe and then just kind of move on. It's, it's never a call to that. Nowhere in scripture can you find that outside of, like I said, taking like Romans 10, 13 out of context and just saying, well, it says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But, but what do you do with verses like this, like John 3, 36, it says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Now, they will say that. We'll say it says right there. But finish as we finish the verse, it says this, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And you notice that it says remains on him. So the wrath of God is on all mankind, all humans before salvation and those that are not saved or have eternal life are the ones that are associated with those that do not obey but the ones that are okay so if you're not obeying okay that means that if you're not following into this process of allowing god to change you and being sanctified if you're not obeying god then you're not saved. It doesn't matter how much you say you believe in him because the call to believing in Jesus is a call to follow him in every aspect of life. First John 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, or we could say believe in him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. He says, and the truth is not in him. So the fear of this easy believism and, and people like you're talking about that, you know, at the basement, and there's many churches around here even that has this type, these types of services, is that these people, even though they might be going to, and we even mentioned this, I think, in our last podcast, mm-hmm. clean versions of club style services, even though they may not be going to the real clubs or are they? They may be, even though they're doing that and they have this belief here, that does not, it, it gives them a false assurance that they're saved when there's nothing showing in their life that they are. So, I mean, that's, that's just the danger of the easy believism form that we see in churches instead. Of, I mean, I want to be told, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing something wrong, I want to see in scripture that, that God convicts me of sin in my life. And then I hear that from a sermon. I, that's what I want. So I can change and be more like Christ. But anyway. Yeah, but, and it's not like none of these ministries might not be doing anything good. Like we've mentioned, I know in our podcast, uh, yeah, they may be keeping people off the streets or for doing alcohol and drugs. But I mean, what's really like, I mean, it's the know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what's going to save you. This, I mean, that's going to be good for here on earth your best life now if you want to go by that i mean but i mean that's not where we're we're here to live but let me i want to finish at least my uh not saying there won't be anything else i have to say on easy believism but i at least want to read this last quote it's from uh paul washer which is one of my favorite uh preachers to watch from uh one of his videos called the lordship uh salvation controversy now we actually play this uh the skit or not the skit the uh (laughs) the video on a our podcast, but I'm going to have to try to read it and hopefully do it justice. But uh, here it goes. Uh, my dear friend, listen to me. The true Christian, the godly, the godliest of Christians will struggle with the flesh. They will struggle with sin. They will struggle with the world. They will struggle with the devil. In the most highest light, you will see men mourn over their weakness. But this is not the same thing 
as we have in America today, where people fragrantly are living in sin, doing all sorts of things in the name of Jesus, believing themselves to be born again. Churches being built on entertainment because Christ is not enough, basically. I mean, then because people in those churches don't want to see Jesus, they want they don't want the truth. They want they want community. They want fellowship. And that's exactly what the pastors are, you know, learning or leaning to give them. I mean, just and that's the end of the quote. But I mean, it's I, what we've been talking about. That basically just not sums it up, but it helps yeah. at least put it. I mean, I thought, I mean, it didn't have anything with easy believism in it necessarily, but at the same time, it does go to show that that is what he's kind of talking about is the easy believism of just uh, going in, in it for the entertainment. Like I say, we know churches that have the movie theaters, you know, basically in their churches where they, you know, show movie select scenes, they try to add scripture to it. But I mean, it's really, it's more for entertainment. They get probably have 3d glasses and popcorn and everything. I don't know. I mean, I know they get the popcorn and everything, but yeah. who what all they do. I mean, it's probably, it's really ridiculous when you really think about what we're doing. And this was supposed to be the gospel nowadays. I mean, mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's just all about fun. That's what's sad when you really think of it in that light in that yeah. way. You're sending, you're sending people to hell because you won't preach the gospel as you are heading to hell yourself. The people that have those types of ministries. And, I, and yes, I mean, I know that sounds pretty harsh, but that's what the Bible teaches us. When you're at, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus's time, he said that you're making uh, them more the sons of hell than you are. You, you're all, that's all you're doing. All you're doing is just bringing people in, entertaining them, while most of the time building up their ministry and their income while everybody's sitting out there is going to hell and you're just growing in fame, kind of like you said with Matt Pitt. I mean, that, that's what it was. It was more about the fame and, and all that. And, and we see what that guy, even someone like him that was on a very low level when you come, when it comes to, you know, maybe he was um, a celebrity status in the Birmingham area, but he's not, not beyond that really, not to any extent. And, and look where it got him. It got him, it, it caught up with him, you know, in his pride and arrogance and, and things like that. And he's not the only one. We're not just trying to pick on him, but it, that, those, that's what happens a lot of times. It's, and, and they move away from the word of God. They bring in people all the while. All those people are just, I say all of them, but a good portion of them are headed to hell. And you're not telling them the truth of the gospel. Yeah. I mean, I remember, obviously, like Joel mentioned, I knew. I actually had met him before. His mom was actually my spiritual leader in my youth mm-hmm. group. So, uh, you know, I'd been to his house. As a matter of fact, I remember uh, one of my CDs to one of the friends uh, that I never got back, but <laughs> and I had to rebuy, but and that I don't even want to listen to anymore. So it really doesn't even matter. But, uh, <laughs> but where was I going with it is the thing. But <laughs> I kind of got off subject now where I was going with it. So maybe, I don't know, let's just give it back to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead and say something real quick. If you got any more, you could say it. But while Joel was talking about the worship, because I've been to the basement with him the first time, and I knew right away, like, that wasn't good, because they play that T-Pain music and everything. I'm like, hold up. It's like, I thought this was a Christian event. And so they played that, and can't remember what else they played that wasn't Christian-related. 
But I remember going outside, outside the Batwell Auditorium, that park across from there. They had some extra encore music. And they their phrase that says, go hard, you know, basically go hard for Jesus. And just like Joel was saying, they were doing mosh pits, people pushing around all that. It's like, we're not going to be doing all this in heaven. We're not going to be pushing around people in heaven because we know there's no more sin in heaven. <laughs> but um, but when John was talking about worship, you know, so I got this scripture came to my mind while everybody was talking. So John 4, we know everybody's familiar with this story, the woman at the well, when Jesus come up to her. And uh, John 4, 23, um, they're 24, and Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So that gets the first point he says, For the Father is seeking such to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So basically, you know, like the basement, they wouldn't worship um, Jesus in spirit and truth. Some might have. Some people probably watching this like, hold up. Well, some have, but most people, I'll say, in that ministry was worshiping Matt Pitt. You know, they weren't worshiping in spirit and truth. And uh, in churches today, I mean, I'm not going to call it what church it is. I mean, when you tell somebody to lift your hands to to whole congregation, somebody in Facebook Live or television is going to say, oh, look, Grandpa, look, Mom, everybody's got to raise hands. And, you know, I like to call them from them. Yeah, because the pastor or worship pastor told them to. And that's not real worship. I mean, some might be real worship because some probably did it already before the pastor or whoever says it. But it's got to be spirit and truth. So you got to pay attention to the music they're playing. I mean, does it relate to scripture? And yeah, does it relate to Jesus Christ alone? And so, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, all these churches nowadays want fog machines and, um, just you know, lights being dim. I mean, yeah, there's nothing sinful about that. But just like Jared was saying, I do not like churches either that does put at the movie stuff. I mean, yeah, people can say, well, they're putting maybe the same thing. They're getting to the scripture. But just like Jared was saying, but basically you're telling them the Bible's not enough. And well, we get we got all the answers in this book. I mean, everything. I mean, and I just don't understand why. Why, you know, the church become the culture nowadays, you know, think we got to ask stuff to draw people to come. But no, like Matt was saying, a lot of people are heading to hell because many preachers today will not preach the truth. And um, so, yeah, so whatever we do, we must worship him in spirit and truth. And uh, I will say that ministry of the basement, I'll say most wasn't worship in spirit and truth. It was just their own, their own agenda. And, what, and no matter what song it is, like Joel said, it could be a sad song, they'll cry, or there's a high beat mode, they'll jump up. But is it really real? I mean, so that's one thing we got to answer to ourselves when we go to church. I mean, hey, doesn't matter how high or low music, hey, we must worship your spirit and truth, just like John Forrest saying. Yeah, I actually thought of what I was about to say about, uh, <laughs> I, I do remember actually Matt Pitt being on the 700 Club, and they were making him as the mm -hmm. next generation's Billy Graham, basically, I remember. But I, mean, I remember I even went to a service, you know, and I, I mean, obviously it, it derived from the church that we were going to at the time, and it ended up moving along with another church, but uh, that's, you know, but anyway, um, 
basically when I went, I don't know, it wasn't anything. It was just a feel good mess, mess message, really. A tickling of the ear is basically what you get from almost those nowadays that all they want is their ears to be tickled and they want to feel good. Like I said, they don't want no conviction of their sin because I remember it was just, uh, like Joel said, it was surface based. I don't even know if you really use hardly any scripture, honestly. I just, I mean, he was just using heavenly themes, more likely. Christian themes more than I think even the Bible for the most part. I'm not saying he didn't open it at all, but for the most part I did. It just seemed like it was more entertainment. It's almost, it almost to me seemed like more of the start of what I see now a lot nowadays. And I'm not saying he started it all, but it just seemed like that was the first I really had of this entertainment culture and church more than uh, the truth being proclaimed really, you know, to the conviction of a, you walking out and feeling like, hey, I know I've been doing this and that, and I need a change, I need to turn from it. You know, I don't think many people get that when they leave that. It's more about, oh man, those lights are so cool. Did you see the strobe lights in that scene that he did? You know, I mean, who really cares? I mean, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more about, yeah, it's more about having the fun and and things like that. And that's and 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 that's a good point, I think, too. Is a lot of the uh, churches that preach this and and have these more emotional type of services a lot of times you won't hear a lot of scripture they they might have phrases in there that that point back to scripture or maybe even some portion of a quote of a scripture but they're not opening the bible up and really teaching you know and because if they do if they really taught the word of god you would have to teach that god hates your sinful behavior you know and and i and i just want to bring this person up just for just real quickly because i think everybody knows uh, Joel Osteen. I know he doesn't, you know, uh, I think everybody knows the type of person he is, but there's a lot of people, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. a lot of people that follow him. He's got the biggest church in America. And so therefore, a lot of celebrity people like him, but he doesn't preach against sinful behavior. And when he speaks about and asked about homosexuals, and for instance, you know, that Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, I believe homosexuality is wrong, but I'm not going to preach against that. He says stuff like this, and I quote, he says, Our vision is to throw a wide net of hope over the world to get people to realize that God is good, that he's for them, and that he's got a great plan for their life, end quote. So just things like that, <laughs> and, and even his wife, Victoria Osteen, says stuff like this, I quote her, I think that people are hungry for a message of hope. I think they've been down long enough. I mean, you can beat your own self up. You don't need someone else to do it for you. Well, an end quote there. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to hear a message like that? You know, yes, okay. I mean, nobody wants to be beat up. But once again, that's the call to being a Christian is not being beat up, but being realizing that you're you need a change in the direction from your sinful behavior and sinful lifestyle to following Jesus, which is the call to salvation. Like I said, like that, that's the point that most of us need to realize about the easy believism and why uh, we're against this type of teaching is because it's not scriptural. It, it's, it's, it's unbiblical to say that you can just believe and move on. And, you know, we don't want to beat anyone up. It, it's not about beating anyone up. It's about calling out sin and seeing sin in your life and changing the direction to follow Christ. I mean, and that's, that's really all I got on that. I mean, 
I, I, I just I, I think too, and I was thinking about how we talked about Catholicism and how that kind of relates to to uh, um, easy believism. I think Mitch, when our last one uh, made a quote about uh, Pope Francis and how he makes the point that even atheists can go to heaven, basically, you know, that we're all included in that. We, we all get there because it's just easy to get there. I got to do is, you know, this and that, and, you know, just work, work do the best you can and God to bring you to that place. And, and, you know, everything will be fine. So that's really all I got when it comes to easy believism myself, but it's just, I just want people to realize, you know, and like we keep on stressing, get into the word of God. And, and listen to the word of God. If you're going to a church and the word of God's not opened at all, really, or if it only is for, you know, for the purpose of reading a scripture and then a pastor just goes off on a rant, screaming and yelling and hollering, hooping and hollering and all that, and that's all it is, then probably time to maybe look for a different church, even if it's boring, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely you know, this is all very good points you know like even as jared mentioned like this is like unfortunately the the modern gospel is easy believism and just uh it's you know crazy how people are just falling into that everybody just you know because everybody wants to feel good everybody wants to have a fun time at church like so they want to focus more on the the movie nights or the movie services like and to me, just the idea of that just sounds crazy. And I kind of actually thought about a, a situation that happened at the basement. Uh, they actually had a movie night kind of thing happen where Matt Pitt was showing um, like a Home Alone scene. If uh, For those, I'm sure most people have seen it, but if you haven't, go check it out. It's a good movie. But, uh, but anyway, in Home Alone, uh, there's a scene where, you know, where Kevin has everything prepped, you know, and like, ready for the the two bad guys to come into the house and they fall into all these traps and stuff like that and like when we watch that part you know like you know watch that whole part of them you know barging into the house and you know getting hit here and there stepping on things here and there and i feel like you know matt pitt started like tying that into like how like you know see kevin had a plan and then, like, then he's going to tie it into the the surface level, you know, sermon of that, like, God has a plan for you. So it's like, wait, like, why did we have to look at what Kevin did, you know, on Home Alone? Why can't you just told us that in the first place? So it's like, it's like, we, like, you know, y'all mentioned that, like, look, the Bible is not enough. Like, Jesus is not enough. You have to add Kevin. You have to add in um, the Incredible Hulk. I mean, like, you have to add in all these crazy characters like like i mean you had to throw in all these you know marvel characters but then but then when you actually watch the movie itself you hear god's name in vain being used so it's like why are we trying to promote like movies that you know that and that accept you know lifestyles that go completely against god and then also use his name in vain like you know i, I don't want to be like, I just feel like that's just bizarre. Like, just thinking, like, going to church and you see the uh, Incredible Hulk lifting his hands up when, because he was told to put his hands up, you know, next to you. It's just like, it's like, can we not just, I mean, I said, that's another dangerous thing I was just thinking of because I know Matt and Jerry brought this up before on their podcast. But, like, the term come as you are um, can sometimes be a dangerous uh, phrase as well. Like, so I just feel like that almost, in a way, ties into like you know 
easy believism in a way because it, you still come out with the same outcome that like, okay, yeah, I just believe that's it. Like there's no changing. I can come as I am every time um, as an alcoholic, you know, or a, a drug abuser, you know, or some of that. I can just come to church and, you know, I, I believe in him and that's it. And listen, that's just, uh, that's just not the true gospel. And we need to be aware of that. And, um, as I know y'all actually brought up, Mitchell brought it up last time and, you know, Matt just brought it up a few minutes ago about Pope Francis and, uh, how he mentioned about atheists, you know, like, um, even having, you know, getting to go to heaven and stuff like that. And that actually is going to lead into our next topic, what is going to be on universalism. So I was introduced to this topic of about a month ago, I heard it actually on Disciples Direction podcast, you know, with Matt and Jared and uh, and Matt's wife, Macy. Um, this idea like came up and you know, I listened to it and, you know, it was very, uh, it was like a mind blowing, you know, thing to hear that like this is well, this is what Christians are like actually believing in and they're falling into this trap and and if you have this mindset it's, it's a scary mindset to have so I'm going to have uh, Jared kind of give everybody a little bit more understanding of what exactly is universalism and and less than just uh, the dangerous side of this so take it away <laughs> yeah, well the scary part is is if you believe, I mean, if you can believe it or not, universalism is almost easier than easy believism. <laughs> right. That, that's the sad part yeah. about it. So, I mean, but anyway, universalism is the belief that everyone will be saved, saved and eventually we end up in heaven at some point. And we'll see a little more of what they teach in their doctrine. But uh, there are some that say that they don't believe that a God of love would ever send anyone to hell. Let me do you some quotes from this article called Are All Doomed to be Saved? The Rise of Modern Universalism by Timothy K. Buger, which I actually stole from the Just Thinking podcast because we actually played the clip on our uh, podcast, right. which, uh, but I might have to read it and hopefully do it justice since I'm probably not quite as good as, uh, <laughs> as, good as uh, everyone else when it comes to speaking. But it's under the heading of Defining Universalism. Wide is the road that leads to life. And here's the quote. It's fairly long, but uh, I'll let you know when I'm at the end of it. Universalism may be defined as the teaching that though hell may exist, it will eventually empty as God's will to save all persons that individually will finally triumph. All human beings ultimately will be saved. Hell thereby becomes a means of grace where God's love eventually wins everyone, even Judas, and some would say even Satan back to himself. The doctrine of universalism has been presented differently by those who have advocated throughout the centuries. Some have claimed that no person is bad enough to be rejected ultimately. Recent universalism stresses that God's power and love is so great that it will secure eventually the salvation of the entire human race. As Richard Balcom notes, and this is in the quote still. He quotes this in the quote. <laughs> Only the belief that ultimately all men will be saved is common to all universalists. So there seems to be a common theme, even if there's different doctrines, like, you know, our different beliefs and some of their uh, beliefs in the universalist uh, stage of Christianity, if you will. Uh, how then does, and I'm continuing with the quote, how then does this universalistic 
position workout and practice. While there are varying versions, universalists generally agree that those who leave this world in unbelief will enter hell. So they believe people will go to hell. But having entered, and this is going on the quote, they will sooner or later come out, having been brought to their senses and seeing their error and not acknowledging Christ. While in hell, they will make a positive response to Christ because their suffering will have opened their eyes to the truth. So lo and behold, but anyway, thus hell is real, but is only temporary. And, and I will be saved. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. But it's temporary. And all will be saved eventually. And God's universal salvific desire will come to pass. No one will be finally lost. Hell will end up empty. So, I mean, what is that? <laughs> I mean, I don't even see how, I mean, where do you get that from when you really think on it? But I, I, there was a lot in this article, so I kept reading on because, uh, like I say, I heard that from the Just Thinking podcast. So I, I went to that article to see what all the other information is, and I found some more stuff. And here's some on the biblical arguments of universalism. And, and it's grouped in, it says they're grouped into ma three major uh, divisions. One, the saving desire of God. Two, the saving provision of God. And three, the saving promises of God or promise of God. Under the saving desire of God, it quotes Paul, that Paul says that God desires all men to be saved. So using Tim, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that, that's where, you know, God wants to eventually save everybody. But the Apostle Peter also expresses the saving desire of God, writing that the Lord does not wish for any to perish, but all come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 2, 3. Thus, Glaston, some guy in the article states, and if God desires the salvation of every sowing he has made, it is scarcely credible that the accident of death changes his attitude to his children. Does the good shepherd abandon his search for the lost sheep as soon as the border of earthly life is crossed? Or will he ever cease to go after that which is lost until he finds it. And then it, right after that, it says universalists argue if God desires it, then it will ultimately happen. So he's basically saying that if God desires it, then even beyond death, he will continue to go after those that are lost. That's basically what they're trying to say. But under the saving provision of God, which is the second uh, uh, biblical argument, argument they have, here's the verses they use. John 12, 32, and I'm just, I'm, I'm quoting them as I quoted, it was quoted in the article. 12, John 12, 32, draw all men. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, reconciling the world. I mean, you kind of get a theme of what's going on here. Titus 2, 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Hebrews 2, 9, he might taste death for everyone. So, uh, and 1 John 2, 2, for the sins of the whole world. Such tests claim that this uh, claim the universalists speak of Christ dying for all mankind. If Christ died for all and his death effectively paid for the sins of everyone, then all will eventually be saved. Now, here's under the saving power or promise of God. Sorry. Um, this is what it states in the article. The third group of biblical texts used by universalists are those which deal with the consummation or the completion of God's plan of uh, in redemption his uh, of redemption in history. I'm getting tongue twisted here. Among those frequently cited 
or Acts 3.21, restoring all things. So he's going to eventually restore all things, what we're trying to say. 1 Corinthians 15.26-28, when all things, even death, are subjected to him. And then Ephesians 1.10, the summing up of all things in Christ. And Philippians 2.9-11, every knee should bow. So basically, they're using those to say that God's promised to save all mankind, as you notice, even death is subjected to them. And it's in his control. So they try to use this to say it would imply that salvation, not just for all people, but even for the enemies of God, right through to the devil, and presumably even death, whatever that really means, you know, when you really think about it that way. But, and I'm kind of trying to get to the end of these quotes in this article, but I, there's just a lot in it. There's a lot to read if you want to go to it, if you want to rewind and find out what, what I said, what, where I said I got everything from please do so. But uh, anyway, and this is on the ph philosophical and theological arguments in the uh, article. The first of these arguments is that is what could be called the argument from divine love. N.T. Wright explains the basic logic of this view, admittedly in abbreviated form. There are two biblical ways of looking at salvation. One says only Christian believers will be saved. And the other says that all men will be saved. Since the latter is more loving, it must be true because God is love. Oh, but anyway, so you see where they are going with this. If, if God is love, then how could he send anyone to hell? You know, that's what basically what they're trying to say. Listen to what this guy, Nels Ferrey, Ferrey, or I, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, says. Nels Ferrey advocates universalism in this manner by and emphasizing agape. Ferrey believes the Bible conveys three teachings concerning the eternal destiny of the lost, eternal damnation, annihilation, and universalism. He claims that, that only universalism is finally consistent with God as agape. According to Ferrey, God cannot condemn a human being to hell because that would violate his agape, which never fails. Since God is sovereign, is agape, we're unsure that all will be saved. Ferrey writes, the logic of the situation is simple. Either God could not or would not save all. If he would, if he could not, he is not sovereign. Then all, not all things are possible with God. If he would not, again, the New Testament is wrong, where it openly claims that he would have all to be saved, nor would he be totally good. The total logic of the deepest message of the New Testament, namely that God both can and wants to save all, is unanswerable, or in, in the words, is unable to be proven wrong, is what he's basically trying to say. And later he even says this in the article. I was making sure I wasn't. Well, I, I guess what I was going to put before I went on to this, basically he's denying the need to repent. Basically what he just quoted, I just quoted of him saying, Actually, I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. Let me get to where I am. I'm, I'm losing my notes. I'm losing myself in my notes here. <laughs> now, here's what Nels Ferrey says about the eternal damnation in scripture. He says, preaching is, is essential. To preach to sinners that all will be saved will not reach them on their level or fear of, and hate of God. It will only secure them in their sin and self-sufficiency. Therefore, Headed as they are away from God, they must be told, repent or perish. So basically, that's where I was going. So basically, what he's trying to say there, there 
is he's dying he's denying the need to repent since this essential as essential faith says that real faith and spiritual meaning cannot be found in organized religions rituals or texts but as essential theology theology demands that faith be individual later in the article he, he uh, says to attribute eternal health to god is literally blasphemy is what he says to say that God would say it could or would send anybody else as literally blasphemy. And just after that, there are a few more quotes I'm going to uh, say that's uh, with some other people in it. Uh, David Edwards, uh, I, like I say, I wish I would have gotten all the specific of everybody. I think a lot of these are theologians and some uh, call of uh, universalism. But uh, here's what David Edwards says bluntly. I would rather be an atheist than believe in a God who accepts it as an inevitable that hell, however conceived, is the inescapable destiny destiny of many or of any of his children, even when they are prepared to accept all the blame. And Charles Dufty says this, he argues the conclusion of universalism is inescapable for any serious grappling that the issue of man's final destiny and the light of the revealed character is of God. So basically he's saying it's not in God's character to send anyone to hell. Is basically what Charles Duffy is saying. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting to the end of what I wanted to do with the opening. Hopefully, I'm doing it some justice. Uh, but I mentioned just thinking already. Uh, I like what Daryl Harrison uh, quotes. And if anybody wants to go and watch the episode where they talk about this, it's in episode 116. It's on the church and the culture. It's right around the 40 minute mark to the first hour mark. Uh, in the podcast, because I think the podcast is maybe a little over three hours. So the first 40 minute mark to the first hour mark, they talk pretty extensive on the, on the podcast about universalism. But uh, here's what he said. Now, in short, universalism as a doctrine teaches that ultimately, okay, eventually everyone will go to heaven when they die. That's universalism in a nutshell. Universalism promotes a soteriology of salvation by death meaning the only thing a person needs to do in order to get to heaven is to die that's all he needs to do is to die that's what universalism uh promotes now later in the podcast daryl uh goes on to give three verses in which this is what he says about the three verses then i'm going to quote the three verses and then give it over to whoever wants to add to the subject uh but he says in quote he says so if he says if uh, they can study, and he's talking about universalists, if they can study these passages and come back to me and say they are still universalists, then more power to them because there's nothing more I can say after that. And here's the three verses that he gives them to study. John three thirty six: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him, which Matt had already quoted. Second Thessalonians Chapter one, verses five through nine, emphasis on verses uh, seven through nine, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Here's verse seven, because he said seven through nine is what he wanted to emphasize and to give you who are troubled rest, a uh, troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. 
in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And then he ends up with Revelation 21, 27. Says by, but there by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So obviously what he's stating there is that only those that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will enter heaven. I mean, that's basically where he's going with that. So anyway, that's my conclusion, at least to the introduction of universalism. I know Matt's probably can't wait to <laughs> add something to it. So maybe before we give it over to the not your Joel, not your average Joel, not your Joel, but not your average Joel, let's uh, let Matt uh, <laughs> add to it. I think you made a lot of good points once again. Um, just wanted to kind of go back to the whole point of, you know, them saying that hell will be emptied, you know, um, that kind of goes completely against scripture. Okay. I mean, the fact that you see in Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking about the, the time of the last, uh, the judgment, the judgment that's going to come. And he talks about separating the, the sheep from the goats. And you know, a lot of people, if you know any scripture, you'll see within that. This is not just some um, false kind of or, or some type of parable. Jesus is speaking about how this is really going to happen. And, and everything in it is true. And when he talks about those that are unsaved and those that are saved, he speaks of it in two aspects. One group, the unsaved, will go to eternal punishment and the righteous will go to eternal life. So you can't get away from the fact that the scripture says eternal. We know what eternal means. It means forever. So there's no emptying of that. Those that are unrighteous, those that are not, uh, they have not found salvation in Christ alone will go to eternal punishment. They will not be emptied out. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. You can apply, you know, God's love and mercy so strong that, uh, that you know, he would not leave someone there for eternity. But there's nothing in scripture that says that, you know, that what they do, and, and I think it just really, it really is a, a misunderstanding of what the scripture teaches. The fact that you can pretty much say any religion, any belief, whether you believe or not, even to the point of saying Satan, Judas, people like that, that we would never even think are going to eventually be in heaven is something that is absolutely unbiblical and is not ever taught in scripture. What we see in scripture is things like this in Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So if they don't follow Christ, if they don't follow in the, uh, the, the aspect of following Christ for salvation as savior and Lord, as we've been speaking of this whole time, if they do not do that, then they will not get to the Father. They will not get to heaven. I mean, that that is taught all throughout Scripture. And what they do is they, they don't hold to a true 
uh, interpretation or hermeneutics is what you call it of, of what the scripture is. They, and I, I always say this, if you listen to uh, Disciples Direction podcast, you hear me say this, they cherry pick verses out and just kind of throw them there, there to the side. Jared mentioned several of them that I even had listed in mind, stuff like First uh, John 4, 14, the father has sent the son as savior of the world. So they take verses like that out of the original context of meaning and, and applying it to what the scripture says about salvation. And they just say, well, see, there it is. It says that he's a savior of the world. That means eventually everybody's going to come out of hell and everyone's going to be saved. But like I said, that there's a lot of that, there's a it's misquoted Bible verses. There's a lot of misquoted Bible verses, even outside of universalism thought. There's a lot of people that misquote a lot of Bible verses. And it, and that's the reason why it's good to read your Bible, to study your Bible, and to find people that are teaching the Bible, not just teaching, you know, their religion or their denomination or, you know, hey, we're charismatic and this is what we believe, or hey, we're Southern Baptists and this is what we do. It's it's a if they're not getting into the Bible like the point that I made before then it's time to move on to a different church and, and start opening the Bible yourself. Most of, most everybody I know knows how to read and can comprehend reading. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there may be people out there that can't. You can listen to the Bible or maybe even listen to someone and probably comprehend it better, and that's great too. But most people probably can do that. So we, we've got we to gotta be sure to, to do that. They, they take things out of context and i just wanted to mention this before i let someone else speak you know last time when we talked i talked about mormonism and you could really look at mormonism as another aspect of, of a universalist type of view now if you were to go i actually did research on this they will say no we're nothing like universalists they start for the fact that mormons believe that you existed before you came to this earth that you're a spirit and that you were a spirit before, and then you, God gave you this body. So anybody that's got a body, anyone that's got a body that's a human, is going to heaven in some form or fashion. We talked about that last time, you know, the different levels of heaven. So anybody here, everybody is going to heaven, whether it's the third heaven, second heaven, or the first heaven. So everyone's going to be saved in some form or fashion. So even though they may say they're not universalist, they are. But the reason why they wouldn't call themselves universalist is because they believe that those that were spirit, we were all spirits before. Some people decided to follow God. That's who got bodies. The other people were cast into outer darkness with Satan. And those people can never be saved. So they do say that. But anyone that's here on earth, will be saved in one of the three heavens. Even if you do not believe, even if you have no sense of religion whatsoever, or you're a Mormon, you are going to be saved in one of those three heavens. So once again, I say it's another view of a universalist look. It's you know, Maybe it's not even universalist. We could call it worldview uh, universalist in a sense. But it is the same concept. Anyone here on earth is going to go to heaven one day. Like I said, in one of those forms of how they get there, that's for another 
discussion and topic at a later time that we're probably going to have on our discussion podcast at some point, but um, that's really all I got. Let me just add one little thing. As we've already mentioned, Pope Francis and his comment about atheists, you know, all they have to do, they don't even have to believe to get to heaven. That's basically the universalist listic and in a way as much as it is easy believism so i mean and i kind of had that on my notes and when mitchell or whoever it was that just mentioned that about you know easy believism about it really fits in both in some way it really does i'm excited to hear what y'all you know have to say about it uh i know in this podcast and all yeah um yeah good points there jared and matt um while y'all's talking um revelation 20 came up to my mind you know and talks about the defeat of Satan one day, which we know death has already been defeated by the resurrection of the life, which is Jesus Christ risen from the dead. But this talks about the future when Satan is definitely defeated and gone forever. Then it talks about before the white throne judgment of God. So I'm going to get Revelation 10, uh, 20, excuse me, Revelation 20, verse starting with verse 10. We know that you know, for those who are in hell, it's going to be there forever. There's no such thing as antheism. That's what the Bible says. The devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire, brimstone, where the beast and the false prophets are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was a found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great standing before God and the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up dead who were in it and death and Hades to deliver up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his words. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And the, the verse 15, it says, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so scripture does not lie. And scripture, it, you know, clears. And that's why the God we serve is true, because we know um, if he lies, then why were we sometimes studying the word and studying the truth? So I'm going to give it to Joel, if he's got anything to add and uh, just for those who are listening, I mean, I mean read Revelation twenty twenty one and talks about the defeat of Satan and basically what hell, you know, why it's eternal life. So. Yeah, so I actually was, uh, as y'all were talking, I actually came up with the same exact in you know, Revelation 20. I was had it pulled up as well, ready to read. So it was, you know, good that he brought that up because. Guys, that just defeats the the whole like idea of universalism that like they think eventually Satan's going to even go to heaven, uh, like he'll be a changed person and go to heaven, and and then uh, but like I said, but then Revelation twenty verse ten, you know, contradicts that. It says that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire, and that he's going to be they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Like that that means for people that don't know, forever means like eternally like there's no temporary there's no like this is just for a season and you're gonna go to heaven and um i actually brought this kind of thing um almost throwing movie night back into this conversation but i brought this up to jared like maybe a couple weeks ago but like uh when i heard them talking about universalism and how 
Um, like even how some people think that like people like Judas and Satan go to heaven. I think about um, the movie Santa Claus 3. And uh, the reason why I thought about that <laughs> is, uh, I know, spoiler alert, so people that haven't seen Santa Claus 3, uh, go watch that or um, plug your ears for the next like two minutes. <laughs> so on uh, Santa Claus 3, uh, towards the end, Jack Frost <laughs> froze up, you know, froze up um, the, you know, Scott Calvin's ex-wife and or Scott Calvin and Santa Claus, uh, his ex-wife and her husband, Neil. And um, in any way, Liza Jack Frost was, you know, he thought he had it all like he was, you know, winning the end of this. And anyway, uh, you know, the Scott's ex-wife, uh, I forget her name, but Liza, her, her and her husband, Neil, they're, they have a daughter. And at the beginning of the movie, like or towards the beginning of the movie, it was told that she has like the warmest hugs. So anyways, like she goes to hug uh, Jack Frost and all of a sudden he's like this changed person and uh, he's like now happy and he's not this cold hearted person. So I kind of th I thought about like Santa Claus 3 when I thought about that because it's like that's not like reality. Like, I mean, I know people are going to be thinking, well, Jack Frost isn't real, but Satan is real. And I said, just knowing that there's not going to be no let's go give Satan a hug and he's going to be a great person. We're going to like, because he knows the gospel already. I mean, he already knows about Jesus. He believes in it already. So it's like, it just goes to show that there is no, like no way that someone like, you know, Satan is going to be in heaven. Like, I mean, you kidding me? That's, you know, crazy to even think of and to even think that people that don't even believe in Jesus, like you can just live any way you want. And, you know, you're going to go to heaven, basically. And that's why even, like, the verse John 3.16 can be misinterpreted, too. I feel like, you know, you can include both easy believism and universalism into that. Because I'm going to go ahead and read it off, even though I know most people know it, because it's like the verse that everybody goes to. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not, have, should not perish but have everlasting life. So I can see it going both ways because you see that first, you know, first few words for God so loved the world. And, you know, you think of the world meaning the whole world, the po the whole population, you know, from Adam and Eve to now and, you know, in the future, you know, before the second coming of Jesus. So it just makes me think of, you know, people can misinterpret even just that that big verse that everybody knows and, you know, present the gospel in a whole different way. And, that's definitely, you know, very dangerous just, uh, you know, to even, you know, present gospel like that, you know, like, that like everybody's going to get to go to heaven regardless, just because God so loved the world. And, you know, and so, and then like once Jesus went on the cross, he, he died for everybody. So it meant that everybody's sin, regardless of whether their hearts are changed or not, is covered regardless, it just seems like. And so I can go keep on, uh, you know, having sex with anybody and everybody, basically, I can keep on going to that um, alcohol and I can, you know, continue getting myself drunk every night because Jesus already died on the cross for me. So like that already is settled. And, and if I die on my way home, uh, you know, drunk, you know, I said that I'm going to heaven regardless, just because Jesus already died on the cross for me 2000 years ago. And that's the wrong, you know, the wrong gospel. That's the, you know, dangerous side of, you know, 
these false teachers that come out with these things. And that's, you know, why they have such a big following is because people want to hear, you know, that side of things. They, they don't want to hear that you can go to hell, you know, like that they want to hear only like you're either like with Catholics, you're basically in a waiting room <laughs> called purgatory. And then you eventually get into heaven or you are, or either that, or you're, you may go to hell just for a little bit, and then eventually you'll get to go to heaven. So it's like that whole like idea of that is just uh, mind blowing. So before we close this out, does anybody have any final thoughts on uh, universalism? I'll start with Mitchell. <laughs> well, um, while he was talking about John 316, basically he's talking about, um, I get to go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross immediately. And Mark 9, this is Jesus speaking. He says this in Mark 9, 44, 46, and 48, the same words. So he says, this talks about hell. Basically, if your hands don't cut, if your hand causes you to sand or your foot causes you to sand, cut it off. But this is where he says, um, when he says each point, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So it basically means, I mean, he's getting everyone and including us today warnings about hell and what's scary is there's more about hell in heaven in the bible because i mean because hell is not a place for anyone that wants to go to for internal life because there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth and their rest day at night and you're going to feel thirsty i mean there's not going to be no party and you're not going to see anybody you're going to hear screaming and you're going to hear hollering you're going to hear help for those that's watching this, like, man, that sounds very scary. And yeah, the, the word of God warns us. And uh, and I encourage you, you know, if you want to get more depth to hell, read Mark 9, read Revelation 20. And I mean, read the whole gospel of John. That's why I always encourage everyone's new to the Bible. Read the whole book of John. And that's the best place to start. And I uh, hope and pray that it, the word of God speaks to you because, hey, it speaks to me. And I'm still learning every day. Don't matter how long I've been saved. So I'll give it to Jared or Matt if they want to add anything. The only thing I got to say about universalism too is I know we don't have uh, really ain't much to go on on this anyway, but I know we don't really have time for it. But another view of universalism is that there is not even a hell also. that That's another view of universalism. So not only do we have that, that you might maybe pulled out of hell, but there is the view that there's not even a such thing as hell. So some people either go to heaven, everybody gets saved. We know that, but there's a lot of religions and denominations out there that do speak to that as well, that you're annihilated or, you know, you just cease to exist. Um, and universalists would say there's no such thing as hell. Everybody just goes to heaven. You know, there's not even that bypass of either purgatory or, or you actually go to hell and then get pulled out. Some, that is another view as well. So, just the, the dangers there of, of getting away from the scripture once again. We gotta, like Mitchell said, very well get into your Bible. So Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna end with. Just say, I mean, get into the Bible, get into the word of God, you know. I mean, and uh because it is, it's very scary when you think of it the way with the things that we hear, them I mean, that you you're basically fitting the gospel to fit your perspective of what you want. You know, and that's what's really sad, and it is, it's really scary for those that are believing in these forms of teachings that yeah. are false and against scripture. So Joe, I know we need to end it. So I'm going to give it back to you. 
<laughs> yeah, listen, I think everybody had some really good input and really good Bible verses to back up the, you know, to show that there is contradiction with both easy believism and universalism. And as uh, so as uh, Jared mentioned earlier, I feel like nowadays people are more focused on fitting church into like the current culture of what's going on and trying to like have everybody, you know, thinking that church is uh, accepting of lifestyles that are totally against God. Like when I hear that quote, love God, love people, uh, sometimes I can raise a red flag because it almost makes it seem like if you don't accept, it means that like, it almost makes it sound like now it's become, you know, hate people, you know, like love God, but hate the people. Like is almost what it sounds like. That's definitely not the case uh -huh. here. So like I said, just, I was just understanding that and just, um, you know, really, you know, let's just realizing that we don't need to go into this modern American culture. We don't want to keep, you know, following this pattern because it's, uh, it's going down a, a spiritually dangerous path. So uh, anyways, I definitely want to thank, you know, Matt and Jared and Mitchell for being here again. And we will be doing part three here soon. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking about um, modalism and uh, speaking in tongues. So that will be like our last part that we're going to be doing as far as the topic of false teachings. So if you enjoyed this video, uh, please give this a thumbs up on my YouTube channel, Not Your Average Joel. And eventually I will be posting these on podcast apps, you know, like Spotify and um, Anchor and, you know, places like that. So uh, like during the month of September, I may be taking a small break from doing actual recording to, to do that so that I can kind of you know, grow an audience because people do need to hear stuff like this, especially like these big topics on false teaching. So uh, anyways, everybody, thank you for watching and I will see y'all on episode 26. Thank you, everybody, that took the time to listen to this episode of Not Your Average Joel. Your support means so much to me, whether you were listening to this episode from Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify, as well as my YouTube channel. If you want to see some behind-the-scenes standout moments and funny moments from my episodes, please go to my Instagram page at Not Your Average Joel Podcast. I also have a TikTok account where I post clips from my episodes as well at Not Your Average Joel Podcast. If you are watching this episode from YouTube, please be sure to give me a thumbs up. And if you want to see more of my upcoming episodes, then please subscribe to my channel and turn on the bell notifications so that you will be notified whenever a new episode comes out. Once again, I appreciate all your support and I look forward to sharing more about these topics with you on the next episode of Not Your Average Jaw. Goodbye. <laughs>